Lord, if there is indeed anything in which we are thankful for today, it is for the fact that you do hold us fast. And I rest in that today. Lord, I ask you now for the encouragement, strength, to explain this text in such a way that we together are built up in our most holy faith and driven to love as you indeed have loved us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me and turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 10? That is where we are at today. Daniel chapter 10. Beginning with verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the twenty-fourth day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is, the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, Understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up, trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. 
And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. You can be seated. There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition. It lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area in which we call the Twilight Zone. Did you know that was coming? All right. Classic. Classic show. Do you enjoy the Twilight Zone? Oh, man. I think the creators of the Twilight Zone tapped in on the suspicion of all men. Right? That there is a dimension beyond that which we are able to see, right? But is nevertheless very real. And the plot, if you watch every episode, is that one may, under the right circumstances, slip into this other dimension. Now, we know that the underlying suspicion that they exploit for the show isn't just speculation, is it? In fact, the Bible tells us that there is another dimension, a spiritual realm, which the Bible calls sometimes the heavenly places. But unlike the twilight zone, it is not the place of our imagination. God created this place it's as His dwelling, and it's where other heavenly beings exist, which He also made to do His bidding. Now, you'll notice in the book of Psalm, for example, that the Lord has established His throne in the heavens, right? And His kingdom rules over all. So bless the Lord, O you, His angels. You mighty ones who do His Word, obeying the voice of His Word. Psalm 103. It is very real. And among the things that are revealed to us about this unseen realm, we do know this, that the happenings of nations and leaders behind them are really reverberations of what is actually happening in that unseen world. But there's something else that's equally, if not more astounding, that you and I have been granted to engage with God into the events that happen 
in that spiritual realm. And not only that, but to have victory over the forces that are far more cunning and far more powerful than ourselves. In fact, that's where the fight lies. Not with forces in this realm, but with forces in that realm. For not all heavenly beings are obedient to God. And you say, well, how is it possible that me, right, a weak, finite, mortal man, could ever overpower schemes of powers such as this? And you know something? The Apostle John answered that when he said this. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Look at it now. Our faith. Now, he doesn't leave this in a general sense of just faith, just have faith. But he goes on to say, well, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes in what? That Jesus is the Son of God. So don't take faith without its object. You see that, right? Faith is only as good as its object. So faith in what? Not in human government. Not earthly satisfactions. Not my own strength or my own ability. No, not faith there. Those all fail. Those all let down. Those aren't strong enough to save me. But when Jesus showed up, have you read this? Jesus, my victor, He waged war in the heavenly realm. You read about it when you read the Gospels. And when He told spirits, hey, you, you get out of Him. You know what happened? There was no negotiation. They split, right? What does that kind of authority mean? Jesus explained it this way. How else is Satan's goods being plundered? That's what I'm doing. I'm taking what Satan's been holding on to. People. And you don't do that unless you first tied up Satan himself. So Jesus, the Son of God, must be the object of your faith if your faith is going to overcome the world. He's strong enough. Now you just think about that then, okay, right? How is having faith in Jesus most clearly seen? You say, I have faith. Well, how is that clearly seen? Most clearly seen. I'll put it this way. Faith put into action is called prayer. That's it. Faith put into action is called prayer. Because you believe, you ask. You don't ask Jesus, at least you don't ask Him with any sincerity, if you don't first trust Him. Faith in action is called prayer. If someone said to me, draw a picture of faith, I would draw a person in a position of prayer. Prayer is where you engage with God against your enemy. It's where the battles are fought. So no, prayer is not vintage Christianity, you know, where we stuffed in some closet of the church. Oh, remember when the church used to pray? I hope not. That's obviously a church without faith. No, God has not given us prayer to admire in a glass case. He's given it to us to wield and to exercise, right? So as Paul says, 
and take the helmet of salvation. You take it. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. That's the intention of prayer, right? To work it with all kinds of prayer, with all kinds of supplication. And that is, in fact, what we find our our man here, Daniel, doing in the 10th chapter of this book. Ever the man in prayer. And the significance of this chapter is that Daniel and we along with him are made to see what happens on the other side of prayer. In heavenly places. But notice first, okay, what was happening in this realm, okay? Verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. So now we're in the third year of this ruler named Cyrus. And this, by the way, is the last segment of the book. Okay, We're in the final portion, you could say, of Daniel's writing. Okay, The tenth chapter begins the final account of the book. It, in a way, it says it introduces us to the main part, okay, the last, final, and greatest vision of the book, a vision which is laid out in chapter 11 and then concluded in chapter 12. So they're all strung together, 10, 11, and 12. Now, the mention of Cyrus is significant because we, we know this man, right? In his first year, he made a decree that all the Jews could return to their land and start rebuilding. It's now the third year, his third year. Chronologically speaking, that this is the furthest that we will see into Daniel's life. Okay, this is past the lion's den of chapter six, and this is now two years after the vision of chapter nine. Meaning this, he's well into his eighties, probably mid eighties, when this word is revealed to him. And he just gives us three introductory comments, right? He says The word was true, and it was, or it was about, a great conflict, a massive war. Okay, And then lastly, he understood it. That's all he's going to tell us for right now. The rest of chapter 10 really just paints for us the significance behind the vision we're going to read about later. Okay, It tells us, how and why the word was revealed. Okay, So, how did this word from God come? Well, what does an 80-year-old Daniel do with his time? According to verse 2, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the, first, or for the full three weeks. What should aged saints be doing? Who in here is aging? I'm not saying you're aged. Who's aging? Everyone should have your hand up. We're all aging, right? 
So sooner or later, we're all heading here. You get that, right? The fact of the matter is, you're not going to be doing the things you did when you were younger. And even Daniel was aware of that. So he didn't go back to Jerusalem when everyone else did. Because at his age, he would not have been much use at a time in which a lot of hands-on work was going to be necessary. Instead, he perceived that, you know what, my declining physicality, I, I can't do the things I used to do, must mean that God's shifting the focus of my service. One minister told this story. I'm going to read it to you. He said, I was a minister only a few months when an old lady sent for me. When I called, she said, I've been praying for many years that God would send a man a little bit out of the usual to do a work for the Lord here. And from what I hear, you are the answer to my prayer. She told me this. She said, I've been a widow for 17 years. Formerly, I had a Bible class of over 100 girls, many of whom have since gone to the mission field. Yet it was only after my dear husband died, and I was by then rather frail and able only to sit at my own fireside and pray, that the Lord gave me this burden and said to me, You have served me long with these girls and in your local church, but this is the task of your life. Reserved for you in your 80s, you have to pray for something in Aberdeen, her hometown. Do you realize that Daniel could do more for Jerusalem and his people on his knees than he could do at that point with his hands? Do you hear me now? Don't take your declining strength when it happens or the lack now of the abilities you can do as a reason to resign and I'll just become idle. No. Now's the time to say, you know what, maybe God's shifting my focus to be on my knees and to do the service of prayer. See, rather than taking it a step back, Daniel kicks it a step up. Right? He deliberately intensified his, ask, his asking, right? Because he's saying, I did this and I, I chose not to eat the delicacies or the meat or the wine. Okay? And I didn't even anoint myself, which in a very arid desert climate would have been quite nice for the skin. In other words, my focus was not personal comfort. I'm going to put that aside for now because I'm seeking God's help on account of some trouble. You can tell he's distraught, he's mourning. It doesn't tell us why, but it's really not a mystery. The Jews have gone back and they've started to rebuild, but already they've run into opposition. In fact, you read the book of Ezra, you know that the work gets stalled almost as soon as it gets started. And word has probably already come back to Daniel about what's going on. But like the old saint from Aberdeen, the task of his life is now to seek God for them. And he steps it up. And you don't have to be in your 80s, by the way, to step it up. Hey, what's it look like for you to take it to the next level? Can I ask? Well, 
Maybe first you just need to take hold of the gift of prayer with a little bit more reverence and awe than treating it like some kind of burden of boredom, right? Some kind of nuisance to your schedule and desires. Or maybe you need to pursue God with some renewed vigor, some newfound passion. And of course, that doesn't just happen. It stems from your belief that, you know what, God is worth it. He's worth it. Or maybe it's joining a group that meets to pray. But I'll tell you what, if you're His child, He can move you up Himself to the next level into such faith. And it might take cancer. Okay? It might take loss or some hard times. It might take removing those barriers that you put up in place of doing His will. Because His great goal is to sanctify you. But you just remember this, that everything, and I mean everything, is at the disposal of your Heavenly Father. So, even cancer then becomes a loving tool in the hands of God. Well, maybe surgery is what's needed to get you to the next level. Or maybe it's just, you know what, I want to be joyfully obedient and follow Him into some deeper fellowship and get some purpose into my life. So for three weeks... Daniel sets himself on this special task of prayer. Right Now you'll notice, according to verse 4, that it takes place during the first month of the Jewish calendar, right? On the 24th day of the first month, right? So this is how he started his year. Here's my New Year's plan. I'm going to pray. And that three-week period would have included the Passover in the first month, and that Feast of Unleavened Bread, okay, of course, which was a momentous occasion of the people of Israel. It was a time of deliverance, right? To ask God, and He's going to ask God for that very thing. His people needed help. They needed deliverance. Now, three weeks go by before we get to verses 4 and 5, right? Three weeks. Nothing happens. Keep that in mind. And then you get to verse 5, and all heaven breaks loose. Daniel's standing on the riverbank, right? And the veil that hides the unseen world is suddenly taken up, right? And here you are in verse 5. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen, with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist, His body was like barrel, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. What a sight, right? Hard for him to describe. There before him is one who reflects the characteristics of God himself. And who was this figure? Well, there are remarkable similarities to Jesus and His glory, if you read Revelation chapter 1. But more likely, this is the same angel, a cherubim, that Ezekiel saw in his heavenly vision. As a servant around God's throne, he, this angel would reflect God's attributes. And the point of Daniel seeing this is one like a, a man that is, uh, it communicates the nature of God. For example, 
the guy is clothed in linen, right? Well, linen was the priestly attire. Therefore, it communicated holiness. Look at these other features, right? The belt of finest gold, a face like lightning, eyes like torches. All of these things are like cascading descriptions of glory. What happens when God's glorious holiness is experienced by human beings? Now, maybe you think it'd be pretty neat, you know? Oh, I'd love to see God. Like, man, it'd be really an adrenaline rush, you know? Like, like your heart gets pumping on a roller coaster ride. But from what I'm reading, it probably sounds like it would more be comparable to if you were standing under Niagara Falls. Does that sound pleasant? You think you'd be able to stand up under that? The men who don't even see this, right? There's other people with him. They don't see it. And yet, even upon these guys, there's an overwhelming sense of terror, right? And they they run for it. And once again, Daniel is left alone to see this. And it what happens? Well, it, it sucks the strength right out of him. His appearance goes from one of splendor to ruin. I mean... The idea there is he looked like death, okay? Some of you are worried about that wrinkle. How about looking like death in an instant? That's what happened to him. When the Apostle John recounted his experience, he says he fell as though he was dead. Now, what's the point? Was God's intention here to crush him with his own holiness and glory? Well, no. He didn't destroy him. But God clearly wanted to communicate his worth, right? That he's not a God to trifle with, right? He's not a God who settles for good intentions. Oh, yeah, oh, you tried, good job. But rather, he's a God who's worth our greatest effort, sacrifice. He's worth leaving comforts for, worth being rejected over, worth being the pursuit of his people. What an encouragement to Daniel and to us. Listen, it may seem like nothing is happening and trouble has got the upper hand and God is silent, but then God reminds us just by showing us Himself. That's all He did here. Here I am. That He's worth it all. All the toil, the sweat, the blood. God is glorious. He's holy. He's the prize, right? And because of Jesus, we'll be able to see him like this and not be crushed by it. You know why? Because he's going to change you into that likeness. Well, this is how the vision came, right? It came by intensified prayer of a man who knew God was worth such a pursuit. And it was answered with a stunning visual that confirmed it. Yeah, God is worth it. Now, that appearance nearly crushed him. And it cost Daniel something to experience this. But there was more to it, right? Because in verse 10, the angel touches Daniel and strengthens him, puts him on his feet. Actually, overall, the angel touches him three times to help him. But he also needed to know why the word came. And this is the latter half of the chapter, right? And it reveals to us the other side of prayer. 
Notice what the angel says in verse 11. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. And then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. So here's what we come to find out, right? He's a man greatly loved, and therefore God has sent this messenger to him in response to his prayer, right? And for the purpose of giving him some understanding. That's why he came. And lastly, we find out this, that God heard it and responded on the first day he started praying. He said, well, why then did nothing happen for three weeks? Right? Well, on this side of prayer, it looked like nothing was happening. But on the other side, in the heavenly places, the angel makes this note, right? In verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. 21 days. How long is that? We say three weeks. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. And he came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. The reason I didn't make it right away is because the demon prince of Persia got in my way. And get this, as powerful as this guy was, and you just read a description of him, there was another evil force that was stronger enough to hold him off from completing his mission. Well, what turned the tide? Well, bear in mind that Daniel's praying all during this time. So God reassigns his chief of staff, Michael, right, to come and contend with this same prince and help him so he can finally get word to him. And Daniel's absolutely overwhelmed when he hears that. In fact, he said, I couldn't even, I didn't, I couldn't speak. I was mute. You say, why? Well, for one, he learns that it's not just earthly rulers and problematic kings that are opposed to God's people and God's plan. But there are these powerful angelic beings behind them that are influencing the decisions of such men. The second also, he finds this out. That his prayers were caught up in the outcome of this cosmic battle. Now, some of us men were looking at Mark yesterday, and we saw that on one occasion, Jesus' disciples were unable to cast out a demon from a certain man. Right? So, they're trying to do this, it's not working. Well, Jesus eventually comes into the scene and he expels it, right? But before he does that, first he rebukes everyone for their faithlessness. And afterward, when they're wondering, well, why couldn't we do it? He says this. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but what? But prayer. What is prayer? Well, yeah, faith 
in action. They couldn't do it because they didn't have faith. And apparently it took prayer to drive out the prince of Persia as well. But soon we'll find out that the fight isn't over, right? You go down to verse 20. And then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. See, when I'm done here, I'm back on the front lines, Daniel. And after that, when I'm done with him, then the prince of Greece is coming. Folks, do you think it's over now? You think all oh, those kingdoms are gone? So are the rulers? Listen, those demonic rulers are not yet consigned to hell. And what overwhelmed Daniel should overwhelm us. That it's not just their fight, it's ours. Right? For we do not wrestle. That's a word for hand-to-hand combat. Against flesh and blood. Not against people. But against the rulers. Against the authorities. Against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Do you understand why I have come? Well, the conflict that you and your people are in is bigger than you think, Daniel. Bigger than you think. And your prayer has greater impact than you know. But Daniel, you're not alone. That much is also clear, isn't it? And neither are you. Let me tell you a story here. True account. Okay. 1850s. John Patton of Scotland and his wife Mary set out sailing for missionary work in the South Pacific. Okay. They're heading to the islands of New Hebrides. They knew from others that the natives in such places were cannibalistic okay, and extremely volatile. Okay, Killing, he said, was like a daily occurrence in these tribes. Well, one night Patton and his wife found themselves threatened by the natives who had surrounded the headquarters. The Pattons thought for sure that the natives would burn down the headquarters and kill both of them. They prayed throughout the night, asking God to protect them from harm. The next morning, they were astonished when they realized the natives were gone. Okay? They had no idea where they had gone or why they had left. Well, they prayed again. They thanked the Lord for saving them. And then about a year later, okay, the chief of that native tribe who had threatened them became a Christian. And he came to visit them. And when he was asked about that incident of that night of terror, the chief told the Patons that he and his men were too fearful to carry out their plans of attack. He said they had seen an army of giant men in shining garments with swords drawn in their hands surrounding the compound. Patton and the chief agreed that there was no explanation other than that God had sent his angels to keep them from harm. I'm not making that up. Either that story or what you just read in Daniel chapter 10. So what more is it going to take to get serious about some faith 
in action. You saying I have to do it for three weeks? You might have to do it for three decades. But I know this. Scripture tells me that the prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. And there's much to be prayed for. Well, let me end with this. From I love these words that the angel said to Daniel, which is really also to us. You who are greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. So be strong and have good courage. Amen? Amen.